from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. Welcome to Money Talk for Friday, January 19th, 2024. Check on the calendar. There's a big game tomorrow night. Your young and surprising Green Bay Packers are in Northern California to play the 49ers. And the Milwaukee Bucks have a weird spot in their schedule. They have two back-to-back games with the Pistons in Detroit, and then they come home for back-to-back games with Cleveland. And now for something a little different. This weekend, it's Monster Truck Jam at Fiserv. Hopefully, they'll get all the dirt cleaned up before the Bucks play again. Mm-hmm. Let's start off with some shocking news out of Florida, my favorite place. Nearly 200 rhesus macaques, those are monkeys, have been diagnosed with herpes. There are just a ton of questions, and I'm not going to go there. (laughs) The next one is kind of Florida, but it's Key West. And Key West really isn't Florida. It's just another planet entirely. The local ice cream parlor is selling an ice cream bar for $250. Here are some of the ingredients. The rarest chocolate in the world. Edible 24-karat gold leaf. And it's topped off with sugar diamonds, and I have no idea what they are. $250 in counterculture Key West. Ain't going to happen. The only person in Key West who can afford that is Jimmy Buffett, and he died in September. (laughs) And from England, a 25-year-old man was arrested for DUI, careless driving, and going more than 40 miles over the speed limit. Why? Because he was celebrating his new driver's license. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, just the public service announcement. Don't screw with the CIA. Agents and spies, all agents and all spies, must take a creative writing class, and in that class, they use invisible ink. That's the the average age of this class, 12? (laughs) On the podcast today, we have John Sandstrom, Dave Sandstrom, Joel Driesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. We don't need our Dakota rings this week to figure out it was a good week for the markets. The NASDAQ up 2.3%, closing at the bell at 15.311. The S&P 500 up 56 points this week, up 1.2%, closing at 48.40. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 397 points this week, up 1.1% to close at 37.864 for the year. The Dow now turned positive, up 8 tenths of a percent. The S&P up 1.7. And the NASDAQ a pretty stellar 2.1%. And, you know, perhaps, Joel, the place to start this week in some of the economic data and in particular, a pretty uh, surprising jump recently in consumer sentiment. We got another reading this week that suggests that, um, yeah, maybe consumers aren't quite to where they were, but the the pace of kind of a turn from pretty sour to now maybe a little little less sour uh, has been has been uh, quite quick. That's right, Kyle. The uh, University of Michigan came out with a preliminary look at its January index on consumer sentiment. And the last two months, it's been up more than that index has been up since the end of the 1991 recession. Um, it's up 60% from its record low in mid-2022. Uh, it's it's astounding. And we've, we've talked about this before, is the consumer sentiment, consumer confidence um, just have lagged what the economy has been showing us by other measures. It's, the economy has seemed pretty strong. Um, inflation rate has been coming down. 
and yet consumers have been gloomy, and here's a sign that that might be turning around. Um, but, but I always think this too is is consumer sentiment is pretty fickle. I mean, it's you know things things can happen, things cannot happen, and it'll turn on a dime. And it's still important though. Consumer uh, consumer sentiment is still something that uh, economists see as as a harbinger of of consumer spending, and that runs two thirds of the economy. And retail sales for December, um, you know, a little rosier outlook for retailers than maybe what they were thinking going into the holiday season, a a pretty strong indication that perhaps uh, retail earnings are going to be a little better than expected, but also the number itself was pretty encouraging. That's right. That's one of those indicators that the economy has been, you know, chugging along and and actually looking pretty good. And that uh, what consumers have been telling the pollsters um, hasn't been matching up with what they've been doing. Um, we, we had uh, eight of the last nine months retail sales have been up. And one thing that I like looking at uh, that I think is an indicator of um, how consumers feel about um, their, their abilities to spend is that uh, bar and restaurant sales uh, led all of the categories in uh, sales increases for year to year. And, you know, fewer people in new homes, so perhaps a little more money to spend on bars and restaurants because we're not painting walls and putting new couches in. That housing data still remains pretty weak. Uh, in particular, the, the full-year number, um, you know, showing signs of, you know, multi-decade weakness. Yeah, the, um, the National Association of Realtors reported today that existing home sales dipped to four, lower than $4.1 million um, houses sold in 2023, and that's down 19% from the year before. It's the lowest number since 1995 uh, when the inflation, I mean, the uh, well, inflation was higher then, but uh, the mortgage rates were between 7 and 9.5%. They're, they're now below 7%. They're about 6.6%. And of course, John, you know, that's something you and I were talking about before the podcast today is just how critical that interest rate really is to the housing picture more broadly. One of the big conversations we've had are really two interrelated conversations, kind of the the inventory. There's just not that much out there, but also that um, the interest rates make it so much more expensive on an already expensive housing price. And so maybe a bit of a turn, as we've seen from the Fed in, a, in the conversation on inflation and the conversation on interest rates more broadly, that might change the conversation on housing a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that we are interested in moving forward this year. I mean, uh, mortgage rates, if you look at it, peaked uh, last October and have been slowly but steadily dropping month by month. I think uh, about 10 to 15 percent has, has we have dropped since last October. Um, And it's one of those things where we've been stuck in this um, renters are looking to buy maybe their first home. But number one, houses are really expensive because the supply is so low. And tying into that, uh, the supply is very low because a lot of the people aren't leaving because they're locked into the super low mortgages. Um, And they're not looking to move into a new house and get that higher mortgage. Um, It's just one of those things where as we see, hopefully, uh, this, this, these rates start to drop throughout the year and, and going into next year, we start to see um, people more comfortable in their current homes looking maybe to go into a new home or, or, or build a house, um, allowing more supply and, and some of these renters to get into their first home. 
Yeah, I think spring tends to be the key for that. Dave, the Federal Reserve, a number of board members talking this week about kind of the path for interest rates. They all seem fairly consistent in message that, you know, those interest rate cuts are on the horizon, but none of them really willing to commit to um, maybe spring as we would hope for the housing market or even really what summer looks like. And yet, you know, the market continues to bet on lower rates. Um, you know, I think that ultimately may be the thing that helps drive stocks a little bit higher here because we're really facing a stock market that, that maybe looks a little more expensive. Yeah, Kyle, it's obvious that valuations are in some, some rarefied air, especially in certain sectors of the market. I mean, growth stocks uh, looking pretty frothy at this point. Some of the forward P's in, in the growth sector in the 25 range. Uh, you know, you're talking about some pretty elevated numbers there. The problem with, you know, the short term, of course, with the Fed is is that, you know, you can argue over exactly when the rates are going to come down and, and how quickly they're going to come down. And, and that's what's going to cause that short term volatility. I think you saw, you know, part of that significant rally in December was people trying to price in those first rate cuts. You know, some of the weakness we saw in week one, I think, was people saying, second-guessing themselves, maybe those rate cuts aren't coming as quickly as as we had hoped for. I think the takeaway from this, though, is to understand that the Fed is obviously in a restrictive stance. We're near the top of their rate increases, and the goal will be to bring those rates down. Now, whether it happens first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, uh, really for a buy-and-hold investor like we deal with, is not that critical. The, the important thing is to know that trend is going to likely be going lower in the next 12 months or so. And I think middle of earnings season for fourth quarter right now. And so as we look at some of those valuation issues that you were talking about, um, there is some hope, not just that interest rates come back down a little bit and support higher prices, but also that perhaps we can earn our way out of some of this uh, stretched valuation. And um, you know, not much so far. A few of the banks reporting about 6% of the S&P 500 reporting as we record this. But next week, I think we hit it in full force with a lot of the pharmaceuticals, a lot of the tech names coming out, uh, even some of the industrials more broadly. And so as we look at kind of the path for the rest of this year, and that's always the question so early in the year is what what's it going to look like 12 months from now? Well, it's really hard to say it looks any different than it did a month ago right now. But also, you're starting to see the, that shifting language around earnings expectations softening a little bit as we expected. You're starting to see some of that shifting language around what the issues are, which I think is more important. Fewer conversations on the inflation issue that was top of mind maybe a year, 18 months ago, and more conversations now around this idea that, hey, there's a lot of, a lot of hurdles still out there that we have to get over. And so... As I look at, you know, maybe what the opportunity set is going forward, it's so interesting that everybody this time of year, and John, again, you and I were talking about this before the the podcast, it's so interesting that this time of year, everybody wants to pick out the next basket, right? What are the next few stocks going to be that rally? Um, And last year, it was the Magnificent Seven. There was an article in Barron's uh, within the last day or two pointing out the new Magnificent Seven, maybe about half of the old, plus a couple of new names. Um, And it really just depends on um, who you are and what you're looking at, what you think matters. Um, But the one underlying trend that I saw in a lot of what's been written so far is that it does seem the approach is broadening out a bit, that it isn't strictly about just seven names anymore. Um, And maybe the key is to think beyond just that kind of narrow, that narrow list. Yeah. And and Joel, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I read that 
It's only happened one time since 1999 that the largest seven remained the largest seven in the consecutive years in the S&P. So it's one of those things where, like Kyle said, potentially broadening out, but that's why we always preach having exposure to various parts of the market all over the place because it's impossible to predict exactly where these the next big thing is going to be every single year. And that breadth is good for investors, right? I mean, it, we don't want it all concentrated, right? It should be. You hope, of course, that um, you don't have to have one great idea and have that be the thing that always carries you. You hope that you can just be an investor, invest in what has been the American way for a couple hundred years, which is innovation. And you know, the thing I always point to is consumption. We're better than any country on the earth at spending money. And if you give consumers a little bit more cash, either because their portfolios are worth more or because they're earning a little more, wage growth has outstripped inflation, well, odds are they're going to find a way to spend it. And of course, Dave, we're sitting on record piles of cash now. And one of the questions is always, well, that cash isn't all going to get spent on new cars and new toys. Some of it's probably going to get invested. And so maybe that's a little bit of a tailwind as well to some of these higher valuations is, you know, this this massive pile of cash that's sitting out there. Yeah, Kyle, exactly right. And, and I, you know, today the, the headline was about the $8.8 trillion sitting in money markets. I mean, that's a, a, just an enormous number that we've never seen before. And, and you're right, it doesn't, doesn't mean that it instantly goes into spending. It doesn't mean it instantly goes back into the markets. But I guess I, I feel much better knowing that there's $8.8 trillion of cash sitting there than if there wasn't. Uh, and everybody was all in uh, in the markets because this at least allows you a, a backdrop. And people are largely there, and I think the reason why it, it grew so quickly is because money markets were paying north of 5%, and that's something we hadn't seen in many, many years. So it attracted a lot of money. Uh, but people are smart, and they know that as soon as the Fed does start cutting rates, those money market yields are going to follow the Fed's you know rate cuts. And so as those yields begin to decline – I think there will be some investors that are sitting there thinking, yeah, maybe it's time for me to find some other idea here. And it does give the opportunity to push markets and, and help them advance even further. You know, it's funny. I have conversations with clients every day about how we try to earn our keep, right? What's the one, one or two things we can talk about today that are going to earn that fee? And one of the ways I've done that recently is to talk to clients about what they're doing with cash, that for a decade plus, it didn't really matter. You could put it in your bank, you could put it in our bank, you could put it anywhere, and you were roughly going to get the same 0.01%. Um, and the difference between four and five, or three and a half and four and a half, on even a, a marginal, marginally large-sized amount of cash is substantial. And it's worth your time to shop that cash to make sure that you're getting the best rate you can get for it, keeping in mind that you want to keep it safe. Eventually, though, as you rightfully point out, as interest rates start to come back down, it's what the Fed's talking about, it's what the market expects. Now you've got to think a little bit harder about, does it really still need to be in cash? If it was four and a half and now it's three and a half, well, is that still enough for the safety it provides? And if three and a half becomes two and a half or two, well, okay, it's a very different conversation when the alternatives out there still look pretty attractive. You know, there's a number of short-term high-quality bond funds out there. You know, right now they don't look all that great compared to cash. They're going to look a lot better if those interest rates start coming down pretty quick. And so investors are going to be pushed into those decisions of, 
am I willing to take a little more risk to keep up this income or am I willing to take a step back in income? And I think right now it's an easy conversation. I'll take safety all day because I'm getting paid pretty well to take it. Um, and what the Fed is really now going to be forced, forcing investors to do is say, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that, that cash balance again. And is it the right amount or should we be putting it to its highest purpose? And that's ultimately what the Fed is supposed to be doing is making sure that cash is moving to the areas of the economy that are best going to utilize it. And that's, again, the way that this whole system is supposed to work. Interest rates go up. Okay, we're going to be a little more conservative because you, you get paid to do it. Interest rates go back down. Okay, let's juice the economy a little bit here and let that cash start to flow again. And one way I like to describe that uh, that relationship, Kyle, to clients is that we just spent in the zero interest rate world that we experimented with, we spent that entire time, we were rewarding spenders and we were penalizing savers. And that dynamic has literally changed in the last 18 months. And we are now finally rewarding savers again with cash and, and short-term instruments that are very safe, making a reasonable return. And now we're penalizing spenders. You know, mortgages at seven, uh, car loans at eight, credit card balances at 25. I mean, those are significant numbers. Um, and quite frankly, I think that's the way it should be. Um, maybe not to this extreme. I think we're in a pretty restrictive stance right now with the Fed. But, um, but you know, that's, that's how that dynamic changed in a, in a relatively short period of time. And it's why we say don't fight the Fed, right? We talk about it from an investment perspective, but even from a, an individual consumer perspective, do what the Fed's telling you to do. If they want you to spend money, go, go spend it. They're making it cheap to do. And if they want you to be a little, a little safer, well, okay, maybe you're a little safer right now. So um, I think all good kind of words of wisdom for, for investors looking at what comes next. And of course, as always, we enjoy doing the program for you. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>